Well, this is part number 16 of our Acts Bible series. And we're going to look at, Lord willing, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 tonight. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I've titled the message, Growing Pains of the Church. Growing Pains of the Church. Acts chapter 16, we'll go ahead and read our text, starting with verse 1. The Bible says, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Father, we thank you so much for the reading of your word tonight. Help us now as we try to preach. Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you notice there at the beginning of of the text, it says the number of disciples were multiplied. You notice that all through the, the book of Acts, uh, starting there from Pentecost and on, the Bible keeps talking about multiplication. God multiplied the number of disciples. He multiplied the church. He multiplied all these believers. And so we see that the Lord does work that way. Uh, God, God gives the increase. You know, a lot of times we get hung up on numbers and, and who's there and who's not there and all that stuff. And we was talking about that on the way in and, and Mary said, well, you know, whatever the Lord wants is, is what will be there. And so uh, if people are obedient, if they're faithful and uh, do what the Lord happened to do, then that's where they'll be. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we make a lot of excuses for a lot of things. But I've noticed in my short 57 years on this earth that uh, I'm 57, right? I have to ask her most of the time. In my short 57 years here on this earth, I have noticed one thing about people, myself included, if there's something that you truly want to do in your heart you want to do, you're going to find a way to do it. You'll go out of your way to make sure that you do that thing that you truly want to do. So if you truly want to be at church and truly want to worship and you're physically and mentally able to, then, then you'll be there. And so uh, that's just my little extra sermon there for you. Uh, but here the, the number of people have multiplied. There are a lot of folks now that's joined the church started out with that 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, and then it it multiplied after that when Peter and John went into the temple and taught, and Peter preached out there on the porch, and the Bible talked about them multiplying then. And so more and more people are coming to Christ, uh, most of them being of the Jewish uh, descent. Uh, uh, Here we have Grecians and Hebrews, and we'll talk more about uh, what that is here in just a minute. But a lot of people are joining the church, and so... Things are happening, and you know anytime you get a lot of people together, there's always going to be a problem. Even if it's just a few people together, you, you, you'll end up with problems. But when you've got a lot of people, 
there's going to be problems come up, and they have to be dealt with. Uh, what is it? Well, Barney says, I'm going to nip it in the bud. And so it has to be took care of. And so you can't please everybody all the time, and eventually somebody is going to start murmuring. Uh, here we have the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now, we're dealing with two different social classes here. And they've came together as one body in Christ, all members of the church. The Grecians were not from that area. They were from outside of what we now people call Palestine, but in that area of, of Judea and Jerusalem, these Grecians were not from there. And they were usually looked down upon by the Hebrews, sort of like the Samaritans were looked down upon. But the Grecians were looked down upon. And uh, some of these may have been Gentiles that had converted over into Christianity, or they may have converted to Judaism to begin with, and then Christianity. Uh, some of them may have been Jewish, but they were all here now of the Christian faith. The majority of these were probably Jews that were born and dwelt in Greece. And so now they are there. They, they spoke a, a different language than the Hebrews. They spoke in the Greek language. They didn't speak uh, the same as these uh, um, these Hebrews. And so uh, they're complaining now, these Greeks are, that the Hebrew widows are getting preferential treatment uh, from uh, the ones that are giving out from the general fund here. It says, uh, what does it call it, neglected in the daily ministration. So daily there were people responsible for either delving out uh, the funds or the food or uh, whatever was needed, there were people in charge that were doing this uh, for everybody. And the Greeks felt like their widows were being neglected. And they may have been. Um, they either were or they felt like they were. Either way, it's a problem. And so they start complaining to the apostles. Now, once you get one group of people complaining, it starts spreading. It's like a book of matches. You, you get a book of matches, you light one and hit the side, and every one of them go up in flames. Well, that same thing happens in church, by the way. One person gets all uh, irritated, and the next thing you know, you got several people irritated, and then you got a whole group of people, and then they're running the preacher out uh, on a pole. So uh, you gotta you got to be very careful, uh, when it, especially when it comes to church things, that we see things the way the Lord would have us see them and not uh, react on, on um, uh, every little whim and every little time you, you may have gotten your feelings hurt. Uh, if I quit church every time I got my feelings hurt, I'd never be there. Uh, it's going to happen. It's just like any family. Our family got together for Christmas. There was, what, nine or ten of us there in the house. And before you know it, somebody's getting into it. It's usually my, my youngest daughter and my son. They, they're so much alike, and they're both hard-headed, and the next thing you know, they're, they're at it. Uh, but that's what happens. The family, they get together, they start arguing and things. And here we've got a, a dispute going on. This daily ministration. Don't forget that people had been bringing in money. They've been selling their goods and bringing it to the apostles and laying it down at their feet. And they've been putting it in probably in some kind of general fund that they're taking care of everybody with. Because these people are, most of them are not working. Uh, they're there. They, they came during Pentecost and then uh, stayed. And so all, you got all these people without jobs. They got to have food to eat. Got to have somewhere to stay. Got to have money to do it. So uh obviously there's some kind of fund set up to distribute among the people and it always starts with the widows and that's that's the way god's plan is uh they're the most vulnerable in the book of james and james 1 and 27 the bible says pure religion 
and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, I've always been one to say I can't stand religion, but that kind of religion is the kind that God says is the right kind. And that is you, you watch over the widows, you watch after the orphans, those that can't do for themselves, and keep yourself clean, unspotted from the world. And that is pure religion, the Bible says. It's not this, this phony stuff where people put on and, and act like something they're not. Now, obviously, these Greeks uh, feel neglected, and they're upset about it, and they come to the apostles complaining. Verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, right away we're seeing something unique to the church. It's the first organization of the church. They're now appointing people to be in charge of certain things and organizing uh, a church needs to be orderly. You can't just have chaos running the place. I mean, bills have to be paid. People have to be taken care of. The, the church has to be taken care of. There's always something that needs to be done, and it needs to be done, and it needs to be organized. You don't say, well, I hope so-and-so takes care of the light bill this, this month. Well, if we don't have somebody in charge of that, we ain't going to have any lights. And so you've got to have some organization. Here, of course, they didn't have to worry about a lot of the things that we do uh, in these days, keeping up in a building and such. But they had to make sure that everything inside, uh, all the members were taken care of and done in the right way. And these apostles realized that they were not called to be waiters and waitresses. They weren't called to be, you know, the guy coming up and, and, and making sure everybody's took care of. They were called to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. The key of that is ministry of the word. And that was their main purpose. That's what God has called them to do. Jesus had told them that's what they're going to do. They're going to go out and witness to everyone in the world. They've got to pay attention to what is the most important thing, and that is the ministry of the word. Same with the church. Despite if we've got lights on or water running, the ministry of the word is the, is the main function of the church. Above everything. Now, uh, the church, the word of God must be preached and it must be taught. And it has to be done without everything else distracting. Now, you know me, you've known me long enough to know that I absolutely love singing. I love music. I can't imagine being without it. I can't imagine a church service without it. It's just, it's just the way it is in the Bible. Uh, the Bible backs up having music for the, for the church. Ephesians 5 and 19 tells us, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's for the church. And so I, I believe that that is one of the, the main things that we do when we come together. That's how we worship. That's how we uh, are with each other, making melody in our hearts by song. Colossians three fifteen through 17. This again is to the church. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father 
by him. So certainly the Bible backs up the fact that as a church and as a church body, these are things that we do. We sing, we have spiritual songs, and we've had that tonight. We've already had uh, hymns sung, and we've had spiritual songs sung, and uh, that's all part of it. But having said that, the truth is, if all we did was come in here and sing and play music and nothing else, then we failed at what we need to be doing. If we don't open the Word of God and say, this is what God says, this is what the Bible says, if we fail to do that, we have failed and might as well have stayed home. Um, The Bible places priority on teaching and preaching the Word of God wherever the church is concerned. Now, we have a wonderful Sunday school I look forward to it. I, I love to hear Brother Scott as he gets up and explains the word. And he does a wonderful job. Uh, I've never listened to Sister Marianne, but I, I'm, I, I understand she's a wonderful teacher. And so uh, we've got some wonderful teachers here, and I'm thankful for that. And so that's part of it. And in the, the preaching, you've got the worst preacher in the county, but, you know, that, that's what you've got. So, uh, uh, But uh, the preaching and teaching of the word is priority over everything. And so what they've done here, these apostles, they, they want to appoint some men to take over serving in the church. It's, it's not their job. Uh, these men that were called were not necessarily deacons. The Bible doesn't ever call them that. However, we believe this to be the, the early signs of deacons for the church. Um, there's many other qualifications required for a deacon other than what they've given here in Acts. In 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, if you want to read that, you can. But it gives all the qualifications of the deacon, and they're much more detailed uh, than what they've given here in Acts. Uh, We also know from reading the scripture that Stephen and Philip both were evangelists and um, not deacons. They were never called deacons. And so it doesn't matter if you want to say, well, that's the first deacons or not. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I believe it's probably a, a first sign of what deacons would be like. Now, these men, according to the Bible, needed to be honest and full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. So they had to have some smarts about them. Couldn't choose the guy that's dumber than a rock and say, come up here and you know, serve all these widows and, and take care of the daily ministration. He's not able to do it. So they look at, and they know, people stand out. You know certain people that you can rely upon. You can say, that person right there can handle a job. They know what they're doing. They can take control. They knew these people. And they also had to be spiritual uh, men. Couldn't be somebody that, uh, you know, just uh, was half half there and half not. But he's uh, full-blown uh, in love with the Lord, and he's full of the Holy Ghost, the Bible said. And so the apostles, meanwhile, they're going to stay very busy doing the most important work of the church, which is praying and preaching the word of God. And this should also be the pastor's number one responsibility as a pastor of the church. Now, a lot of people today, they, they assume that a church pays a pastor to, to do all the jobs in the church. I've been there before. I've done every job you can imagine. I've had 10 or 11 jobs at a church at once. And people say, well, we pay the pastor. He can do that. Well, that's not how it works. Um, Pastors are paid because the Bible instructs the church to pay the pastor. Now, I know a guy that gets so bent out of shape anytime you mention giving a pastor money and he says, he's, you know, pimping out the gospel. Well, the Bible instructs us to pay the pastor. Uh, several verses in the Bible, I'll give you just a few. 1 Timothy five seventeen through 18 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. 
especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. First uh, Corinthians 9.14 Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So the church doesn't pay the pastor to do all the work. The church pays the pastor, first of all, because it's biblical. But second of all, to allow the man of God to be able to do the work in which God has called him to do. There are so many uh, churches and pastors today that are struggling. Now, I'm a bivocational pastor. I have a full-time job. I'm not concerned about getting paid by the church. That's not my concern. Uh, when uh, I first came here and was uh, talking to the men, money does not even enter the conversation. I, I don't care. I don't care nothing about it. Um, I don't want, first of all, I don't want to burden the church. And second of all, the tithes off the money that I earn in my job outside of church helps the church. And so it works out. I, I like to think of myself kind of like the Apostle Paul. He sowed tents for a living, didn't take money from the churches. And so this allows us to, to uh, uh, the man of God, to not only support his family, uh, but to, uh, uh, you know, if there's things needed for the ministry, books or gas to go to the hospital and visit or or anything like that you know it's helpful uh one day it is my desire to pastor full time i would love to do that uh, i've still got nine years until i retire and so if i make it that long if i quit eating as much as i do i might but uh if the lord allows that to happen then so be it if not i, I am totally fine with the way things are now just being bivocational uh, this first century church pastors, they devoted all their time to prayer and preaching the word of God. So they appoint others to serve in the church where needed. Now, look at verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles... And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So the main requirement for these men were to be filled with the Spirit. That's their main requirement. Which ought to be the requirement for any man of God, anyone that's put in a position of ministry of any type. They need to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, they were some that were obviously filled with the Spirit, men that was there, because they were these that were chosen. The Bible mentions seven altogether. Uh, some churches say, we need seven deacons because that's what they had in the Bible. Well, no, <laughs> they didn't call them deacons here. And uh, we don't have seven. You can get along without seven men being deacons. But um, this is why some churches believe they, they're supposed to have seven. Um, verse 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, notice again... In the word of God here, it increases. The word of God increases because the apostles had the time to pray and study. They were studying. They were in the word of God, and they were, they were taking it all in, absorbing it. And that way, they're able to go out and speak and say, this is what God says. And people were hearing that. They were talking about Jesus and the gospel and everything that uh, was uh, needed for salvation. And so God started multiplying the church more. Um, here it says the number of disciples multiplied. It's not talking about the 12 disciples. It's just talking about believers in Christ. Uh, if you get saved 
and you're following Christ, that means he's your teacher, you're the student, you're his disciple. So we're all considered disciples if we're following the Lord. And so um, I also see something in this verse that you can guarantee was troubling the non-believing Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you see what it said? A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Wow, the priest. So these priests are coming around and listening to the church services. They're listening to the apostles preach, and they're coming to the faith in Christ. This has got to disturb that religious crowd over here, those Pharisees and Sadducees. You know it is. They've came to the faith, and uh, that probably angered them greatly. They're defecting from Judaism over into Christianity, and it's going to cause a disturbance. And any time God is working, especially in a church, the devil's going to start working overtime. When things start going good and you think, boy, it couldn't get any better, the devil will pop up right in the middle of the church and he'll wag his tail and get his pitchfork. Um, I've seen it happen so many times. Um, that's his job. So when, when everybody's good and everybody's getting along, things get accomplished, and the devil's going to come in and try to disrupt everything he can. He can't help it. That's the, he just does. Uh, the sad part is, in order for the devil to actually do any damage in the church, someone must allow him to work through them. Because he's not going to pop up and be the little red guy that you see in the cartoons. You won't recognize him. It'll be somebody you know, somebody you may be close to, could be another church member, whatever it is. They're allowing the devil to use them. So he'll whisper in their ear, and the next thing they're offended, and they're telling everybody else, and they get this group upset, and this group upset, and they're against them, and the next thing you know, they're all riled up. There's That's going on in a church here in Knoxville right now. Uh, some people started some stuff, and it's it's tearing them apart, and it, it's so sad. Um, but uh, that willing vessel for the devil, may it never be us. May it never be you. May it never be me. Verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Yeah, if you see that, that's very important, that little statement right there. He's full of faith and power. Um, that's a great truth that we find here. There's many things that people can be full of. <laughs> but to be full of, of faith and power, there's nothing greater. I would love, you know, for somebody to say, Brother Byron's full of faith and power. Instead of fried chicken. Because that's probably what I'm full of most of the time. Uh, there's people, though, that's full of envy. They're full of wrath. They're full of uh, anger, uh, so many things, malice, even sadness. Some people are sad and they stay sad. And they've gotten that way and they've stayed that way so long that that's just who they've become. Kind of like uh, Naomi, you know, and she's bitter. Don't call me that anymore. I'm bitter. But uh, what about Stephen? The Bible says, first of all, in verse 5, the Bible says Stephen was full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And in the verse we just read, said he was full of faith and power. And over in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, the Bible says he was full of the Holy Ghost again. And so from the first mention of this man, Stephen, to the very last one we see, he is a man that's full of spirit, power, and the Holy Ghost. And what a, what a remarkable man he was. Uh, that would be a way to be remembered, wouldn't it? 
to be remembered as being full of faith and power. Friends, without faith, we have no power. And without faith, we cannot do great wonders. Now, we're not going to be able to perform miracles, no doubt, like, like the apostles were able to do in many cases. But uh, the Lord himself does the miracle, and he can do it through you. You can introduce someone to the gospel, and that miracle of them being saved from a lost sinner bound for hell to being someone bound for heaven and being saved, that's a miracle in itself that somebody's pulled out of the pits of hell. God's the one that performs that miracle. And so uh, without faith, we can't lead others, others to Christ. Without faith, our testimony is useless. So Stephen was a man full of faith and power. Because of this, he was able to do great wonders and miracles. Now, the Bible, notice the Bible doesn't give us uh, information about Stephen's looks or his demeanor, except for being full of the Spirit and all that. Uh, didn't say he used a lot of fancy words or that he was highly educated or sought after by a lot of people. Um, but the attributes that made him stand out among the crowd was his faith, his spirit, his power that he had. Uh, some people get hooked up on, on uh, looks. You know, they think the preacher ought to look a certain way. He needs to be tall, dark, and handsome. You know, we're looking for a pastor. He's got to look, you know, tall, dark, and handsome, really. Uh, you got short, fat, and ugly, so, uh, you know, I'm thankful the Lord chooses us anybody. Uh, some of the best preachers I know are short, fat, and ugly, but uh, Stephen's full of faith and power, and that's what he was recognized for. And one of the things we've got to do if we want to be like that, we've got to empty ourselves of all the nonsense and the clutter that's already there. So we got to do that. Uh, I'm going to tell you this little story. I'll be through in just a minute. This, so listen to this preacher one time. His name's Alan Redpath. He was an old Irish preacher. And let me read you what he said. He's, he told about this lady that he knew back in Ireland. And uh, she decided to uh, hold a cottage prayer meeting in her home. She invited her next door neighbor over. And he was a different faith than she was. And... Uh, this this neighbor said, uh, no, I'm not allowed to attend. So she held a meeting, and the next day her neighbor asked from across the fence how many people she had in attendance. The lady said, oh, we had a wonderful crowd of 27. My house was full. You should come next week. Oh, no, he said. I'm not allowed to. So the next week she had another meeting, and again the neighbor asked how many she had. Oh, there were 36 last night. My house was full. It was wonderful. Come to the next one. Oh, no, I can't come. I'm not allowed to. So she had a third meeting. The lady asked, or they asked again how many she had. Fifty-one, the lady said, and my house was full. The neighbor looked at her and said, hmm, uh, you had 27 the first night. Your house was full. Then you said you had 36 the next night. Your house was full. Then you said you had 51 the last night. Your house was full. How can that be that your house was full every night and you kept having more people? Oh, that's easy, the lady said. What do you mean, easy? Why, it's impossible. Oh, no, the lady said. We just took every piece of furniture out of the house and put it out in the yard so we could fit more people. Listen, we can get ourselves filled up to where we can't be full. We get filled up with other things, and so we, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. We get filled full of every television. We can get ourselves full of that instead of studying God's Word. 
ourselves full of activities. People are just busy, busy, busy doing this and doing that all the time. What about attending God's house instead? We get ourselves full of ourselves and don't have time for anybody else. What about being full of jealousy that we can't see good in anybody? You know, you're always mad and everything because everybody's got everything better than you. Or that guy over there, he's always got it made. I don't have it. Full of anger. We can't be happy for somebody else when something good happens to them. We think that, you know, it's a, something about us, that it, it ought to be about us. And so a lot of times we get full of all these other things, which does not allow us to be filled with the Spirit. If we can empty all that junk out of there and absorb God's Word, pray to the Lord, attend His house, be with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and... You know, things will be better. Our, our, we, we would be filled with the Spirit. We may have that, that power such as Stephen had to tell others about Jesus. So maybe we need to do a little bit of cleaning. You know, clean out our house a little, move the furniture, make room for God. If we want to be full of faith, power, and the Holy Ghost, we've got to do something. And so those things require room in your life, and there's not enough room for them and everything else. Over in Luke 7 and 28, Jesus said, There is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now, that's a, a mar marvelous thing to say about someone. And that's Jesus talking about John the Baptist. He said there's none greater than him. If someone said that about you, you'd probably get pretty excited about it. You'd probably maybe get a little bit puffed up about it. You know, there's nobody greater than him or her. But listen to what John the Baptist said. John 3 and 30, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist wasn't looking for accolades or anybody looking to him to be something great. He, you know, he was, he was uh, highly sought after teacher and preacher, and people were following him at his own disciples. But when the Lord came, he, he knew. Yeah, it's, it's all about him. It's not about me. Look, we've got to empty ourselves in order to be, to be full. Maybe your life is filled with things that are taking the place of godly things. You will never be full of the Spirit, power, and Holy Ghost as long as we're full of other stuff. Now, I've often wondered what people will say about us after we're gone. You know, you like to be a fly on the wall at your own funeral, find out what people are saying about you? You may not. Will they say, well, they sure love the Lord. They were so full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Boy, they love people. They were wonderful Christians. Or do they say something like, I don't reckon they ever did anything good. I don't even know if they were truly saved. Never saw any proof in their life of that. As far as I know, they never confessed Christ. What a sad testimony that would be left behind. If you've ever had to preach a funeral of somebody that was lost or you didn't know if they were saved, it is so hard. It's so hard. Well, we'll look at the the men in the early first century church more uh, as we go. But uh, we should model our lives after this this early church and and the what God says about it here. We're gonna stop right there and we'll pick up next time, Lord willing. And uh, we are gonna have business meeting tonight. And so before we do that, I am gonna pray, and then we'll we'll do that. Father, thank you for the message tonight. Lord, help us as we try our best, God, to be the godly men and women you'd have us be. Lord, to be more full of the Spirit and the Holy Ghost and power 
God, not full of everything else, especially the things of the world. God, help us with it. God, pray. I'm praying for each one that's here tonight, God, that you'll help them. Lord, help each church member, God, that we can just be what you'd have us be. Lord, we thank you for everything you bless us with. May we never forget it, Lord. You're the only reason we even exist. God, the only reason we'll ever see heaven. Help us, Father. May we be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.